Uh, when we consider what God's plans are for us, we need to consider what are some of the most important commands or instructions God has given us for this. And so we are reading from uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, the first is here, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask Jesus any question. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that the words of my mouth... And the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, So January 7th, how many of you have already broken any of your New Year's resolutions? Come on now. We do this at this time of year, don't we? We make New Year's resolutions. It's highly optimistic. Um, And I think there's a good reason for it. It seems to me the reason behind making resolutions is we desire to be whole. We desire to be whole and we know that something is out of whack, something is out of alignment, something is unfinished, something is, is, needs to be some attention. And so we make a resolution. Many people who overindulge in November, December with alcohol resolve to do a dry January. Many people who overindulge with eating or lack of exercise uh, do one of those 28-day challenges that you're seeing on all the socials, right? Pilates and yoga and food. And if I have one more offer of a weight loss program on my Instagram, we do it with reading or knowledge. We realize we have gaps in our reading. We have gaps in our knowledge. Many people I know start a, a Bible reading plan, read through the Bible in a year starting in January, hit Leviticus about February, and that's it. But it's a good intention. Just skip Leviticus. Uh, We want our emotional life to be in order. We make resolutions maybe to reconcile with some people, to go get some counseling, to join a support group, get our emotional life in order. Many people make resolutions concerning their time, their use of social media or email or other things. They're they're decluttering. I mean, you've got your resolutions, right? And it's all desire to bring life back into some kind of alignment, to be whole. And this is important for us this year, too, because 2024 promises to be a fairly divisive year. 
in the culture, society, nationally, around us. It's an election year. That's gone great the last eight years. We are involved as a nation in two different wars overseas, uh, Ukraine and Russia, and then Israel with Gaza, Hamas and Gaza, and also creeping into you know, violence in the West Bank, in Lebanon. Who else got stuck in traffic because they shut down the freeway yesterday? Anyone? Yeah, that was annoying, wasn't it? Sorry, I probably shouldn't say things like that. This won't be a political sermon. I just like to get where I'm going. Uh, it's it's going to be divisive. You've probably got divisions in your family. You experience it in different places. It's especially important to respond and to be growing, to be learning, to be moving ahead into God's purposes and plans for us from a place of wholeness in the midst of divisiveness. So it's important to know that in today's passage, even though it seems pretty uh, low-key, the interaction between Jesus and this particular scribe, the context around it is at the height of divisiveness around Jesus. He has entered Jerusalem in what we call Palm Sunday, or the triumphal entry. He's teaching in the temple. Every single day, someone's trying to get him in a gotcha moment. The temple authorities the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the scribes. Now, the scribes are authorities in the law. They're not simply people who copy as scribes what the text says into a new copy of it. A scribe is a teacher or authority of the law. And in Mark's gospel in particular, the scribes have been Jesus' primary opponents, both during his ministry out and about in Galilee And especially when he gets to Jerusalem, they will be right at the center of his handing over his unjust accusations and his murder. So there's a lot of of, of just bad confrontations for Jesus. And in the middle of it, we get this one interaction that's actually pretty lovely in comparison. This particular scribe has noticed that Jesus answered his opponents extremely well. And he approaches him, not in a gotcha moment, but with the kind of question that the scribes loved to discuss all the time. What is the most important among the commandments? Uh, There's a New Testament scholar who's named Eugene Boring. Is Boring not the most wonderful name for a (laughs) New Testament scholar? He's wonderful, I should tell you. And his translation of this passage is, which commandment is above everything else? Now pause there a moment. Above all else. This is the time of year we make resolutions. What above all else do I need to give my time and attention to going ahead in this year? What is it above all else that I need to engage and to do so that I know my labor is not in vain? What is it above all else? And Jesus and Jesus' reply uh, starts with what the Jews call the Shema. That's Hebrew for hear or listen. Uh, uh, If you were a Jew, you would recite this twice a day in prayer It's something that emphasizes the unity, the wholeness of God, 
Verse 29. The first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then because the Lord is whole, because the Lord is one, in response, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your understanding, with all your strength, your capacity, your ability. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Lord your God is one. We may say the Lord is whole. The Lord is all-encompassing. God fills all things. Jesus makes clear that wholeness begins with God's wholeness. That's our starting point. Not what you're going to do. Not what you're going to read. Not what you're going to do to improve your strength or your capacity or to heal your heart or to expand your soul. This begins with who God is. God is whole and God is one. Athanasius, who was one of the early church fathers, had written about this. If the Lord fills all things in heaven and earth, then there is no room for a second supposed God. There's no room for a second supposed God. The Lord is one. And so because God is whole and God is one, give your whole self back to God. I'm sure that for many of you, this is a reminder rather than a new teaching about this. For the scribe and Jesus in this conversation, this is a reminder, not a new teaching. The heart is the center of a person, not just emotions. We use the heart as emotions. But for, for a person at that point in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the heart, particularly in the Hebrew, is that center of emotions and motivations and will. And it's curious because Jesus adds understanding. And if you look all through the Hebrew writings, at least, there's no place that understanding is a part of this. In Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, in the places in the Old Testament where this command is given, where the Shema is recited, it's the heart, the soul, and the strength. The heart, the soul, and the strength. But it, it does reflect how good and winsome Jesus is in his context, then in a Greek-thinking world, you need to make clear that the understanding, the mental faculties, are very much a part of the heart. You don't have to tell a Hebrew thinker that, but you do need to let the Greeks know that. The heart, the mental and intellectual capacities. The strength isn't simply your physical strength, but it's your capacity or ability to walk in the way God's invited, to do the work God has invited to obey the commandments that God has given. So to love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and with your soul. Now, I wonder how you define or describe the soul. Would you take a moment just with somebody near you? I'm not going to ask you to answer me this, okay? But this is a really long sermon, so you're going to want to break. With everybody, just with someone around you, how do you define soul? How do you define soul? If there's no one sitting right next to you, reflect on it yourself. But if there's someone sitting around you, even if you don't know them, how do you define soul? Go for it. Now hang on to that. Hold that as an open definition. We're going to come back to it, all right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then Jesus clarifies the second command is like it. When Jesus does this, he's not... Um, it's, it's, it's what you have to think of the Shema as, the loving neighbor and loving God, is two sides of the same coin. It's inseparable. It's inseparable. Love of God and neighbor cannot be disjoined so that one is thought more important than the other, writes the Venerable Bede, the most awesome name in Celtic 
Christianity, the venerable bead. Love of God and neighbor cannot be disjoined so that one is thought more important than the other. In a divisive age, wholeness begins in the oneness of God and then people who worship God, giving their whole self to God, and then that whole self, heart, soul, mind, and strength extending to neighbor. This is a reminder for most of you, particularly here at UPress, the, the mission statement, the vision statement at UPC is to give our whole selves to God and Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus, to be loving our neighbors, loving neighbors, right? And doing so in community, growing in community. All of that is in what Jesus is talking about. Always good to know that the mission statement of your church is in the Bible. But in a, in above all else, did you notice Jesus starts this with the listen? Hear, O Israel. There are many places when this is debated among the rabbis. There are other places where Jesus says this same thing, that these two commandments together are the greatest of all commands, that don't start with, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. Hear, the Shema. It begins with listening. How many of you know who Trevor Noah is? You know Trevor Noah? Trevor Noah is a comedian. He comes originally from South Africa. He has a wonderful autobiography called Born a Crime. And uh, he tells a story about the time his mom brought home two puppies. And these puppies were Bull Terrier and Maltese Poodle mix. Can you imagine? These, this Bull Terrier and Maltese Poodle mix. And one of these puppies called Panther looked a lot more like the Bull Terrier side. And he says about Panther that Panther was an ugly dog, but really smart. And apparently Foofy, awesome name, isn't it? Foofy looked more like the Maltese Poodle Foofy was a beautiful dog. And as Noah describes it, so dumb. And they say to Foofy, 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 sit, sit, Foofy, sit. And she just sit there looking, look at them looking beautiful and doing nothing. Oh, Foofy, you are so dumb. I mean, Foofy was just dumb, right? Well, he tells a story that one day the dogs were both lying down next to a steel gate and the steel gate fell over and Panther moved out of the way in time and Foofy did not. And the gate landing on Foofy crushed her spine and when they took her to the vet, there was nothing they could do. Foofy had to be put down because of the damage from this gate. And in the midst of, of their horror and their sorrow at losing Foofy because they loved this beautiful dog, the vet said to them, you know, but, but this is amazing. How did you raise a deaf dog? <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean deaf dog? And he goes, well, yeah, when, when the vet was examining the dog, Foofy had no inner ear. The cochlear was missing for Foofy. So Foofy was deaf. And this, all this time, they thought Foofy was dumb. But she was actually deaf. And they realized that what used to happen is Foofy would imitate Panther. So Panther would come running, and then Panther would look around and realize Foofy wasn't there, and Panther would go get Foofy and bring Foofy back. And they would both come, and they always thought Foofy was dumb, but they just realized that Panther knew Foofy wasn't there and would go back and fetch her. She wasn't dumb, she was deaf. Never knew it. Because she was smart enough to imitate Panther. Hear, O Israel. How many dumb things do you do? How many dumb things do people do around you? 
Now, when I say dumb here, I'm talking about this kind of inability to get what we know is right in our heads, what we know our hearts. We need the choices we need to make, things we need to do, what we know our strength needs to be attached to, what we know, where we know our soul needs to go. And we just, we don't do it. It's like we just run back and forth, right? Choices made, actions taken, this inability to change or to obey. What if it turns out we're not dumb and those other people aren't dumb, they're deaf. Here, O Israel, God is one. Without hearing, there's no wholeness in loving, either of God or of others. The starting place is hearing. And we know this in our head. We want this in our hearts. We seek to do this with our strength. And so I'm curious which capacity is missing. And in that curiosity, if you look at this story, look again at what the scribe responds to Jesus. It's in verse 33. First, the scribe says, very generously, he's not there to gotcha with Jesus. He goes, that's a great answer. That is a great answer. And he says, to love God with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than any of the most important religious rituals of the day. What did he leave out? He left out the soul. Now, I want to caution you. I don't want you to think that this is some big secret insight into this passage, okay? I don't know why he didn't say soul, and Jesus didn't seem to have a problem with it. But it got me thinking. I thought, am I one of those religious leaders that always leaves out the soul? Are we, as Christians and leaders, followers of Jesus in the world, guilty of dropping out the soul? Leaving out the soul. We live, in a, we live in, a, in a secular age, which means there is a rejection of soul. There is a rejection of spirit, which means there is a belief, uh, a material, that everything emerges and grows from material. My, my husband David and I have these conversations all the time because he's very interested in artificial intelligence, AI. And if any of you are involved in that, you know the discussions about what it is that makes someone human about materialism, about wonderful thinkers, great thinkers like Uval Harari who would say, you know, well, we're different from animals because we tell stories. And that's a great answer as far as it goes, but does it actually go far enough? Is there something more to being human than being thinking beings who feel or feeling beings who, who think or just material strength, the capacity to do things? Is there there's something that as Christians, we actually share in our theology with our Jewish brothers and sisters and our Muslim brothers and sisters that we argue and believe there is more to being human than understanding, heart, strength. We believe in a soul. Hear, O Israel. Now, in the same way, that New Year's resolutions, we make these resolutions based on uh, something that we notice is missing or weak that we need to replace or make stronger. What I'm suggesting as a pastor, as I look at this today, the greatest commandment, heart, mind, soul, body. I'm not saying the soul is more important than the other parts. That's not my suggestion. My suggestion is, are we living in an age where the thing we need to focus in on that we are especially weak on, that we need to intentionally pay attention to, 
that we need to let God strengthen within and among us is the soul. Is the soul. What happens when we neglect the soul? What if the soul is essential to the kingdom and wholeness for which we are longing? What if the issues as we enter 2024 are soul issues? What happens? What happens when a church or a people attempts to, to confront the divisions or the lack of wholeness of our age without soul or paying attention to soul? Can we actually move outward in love of neighbor without sufficient attention to the soul, both our soul and theirs? There used to be a time when there were air accidents like happened this week with, uh, the, you know, amazing that all the passengers on that Japanese airlines came off. Uh, that's a, that was an astounding thing. Amazing, you know, that all the American, uh, sorry, Alaska airline passengers, right? We used to say there were 170-something souls on board. We used to recognize these weren't just people who paid money to get a ticket. There were souls on board. I wonder if we are less practiced or used to talking about the soul. The Hebrews called it the nephesh. And the nephesh is, is, is the very self, the very life of a person. When the prophets complained that someone was trying to kill them, what the prophets would say is, they are seeking my nephesh. They are seeking my soul. They're seeking my life. And so as you're listening to me, if you're wondering, well, then what's the difference between soul and spirit? Don't get too wrapped around that axle. Because here's the wonderful thing about ancient languages, like Greek and Hebrew, is they take these concepts and recognize that some of these concepts, something like love, requires more than one word to really get it. And the soul of a person is one of those concepts. So people, like other animals, have an animating spirit. And in addition, Another angle of that, a larger aspect of that, is what the Bible calls the soul. It's not separate from it. It's just an expansion of what we think about. It originates in a God who breathes life into humanity. And when God breathes God's spirit, God's ruach, God's wind in humanity, then, the, then Adam and Eve, they become living persons. They become nephesh, their souls. C.S. Lewis famously said, it's not a question of whether a body has a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. In Jewish and Christian thinking, you are a soul. You are made in the image of God. You were created because God breathed life into you. There is something irreplaceable and beautiful and beloved because you have a soul created to be in relationship to God. And some of our most beautiful descriptions of the soul are actually found in prayers. They're found in the Psalms. And when we read the Psalms, when we read the prayers of the Jewish people, we read that the Lord God is the portion of the psalmist's soul the delight of the soul. We read about souls that thirst for God and, 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 and to God we pour out our souls, we lift up our souls. It's possible to lift our souls to deceptive things, to deceptive gods, to things that are not God that will abuse or that will trap, but a soul lifted up to God is free. 
Our soul finds refuge in God. Our soul clings to God, longs for God, is satisfied in God alone. Remember the psalmist's call to bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless God's holy name. You know that song, right? Bless the Lord, oh. You could sing it with me. I sound silly. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship God's holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. Good job. I always start too slow, too low. Remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. There's a sense in the scriptures of eternity and the soul, of the Lord rescuing the soul from Sheol and from death in the Old Testament scriptures. Isaiah 10, 18 speaks of the Lord ransoming the soul from death. There is a Jewish prayer in the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud. It's, it's a document that the Jews pulled together during exile in Babylon that goes like this. The soul you gave me is pure, my Lord. You gave it life and you preserve it within me. And at the end, when the time comes, you will take it away only to give it back to me one day. But as long as that soul is in me, it will worship you, O Lord, my God, the God of my fathers, from whom one day the dead will receive back their souls. See, what we believe is that soul and body is always meant to be together. You are a soul in a body, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is for the purpose of restoring souls and bodies. And in Proverbs 24, 12, we see this triad that happens all the time in the Old Testament where heart and soul and strength belong together. God weighs the heart, the the seat and the source of your motivations. He keeps watch over the soul and repays us according to our deeds. It's that echo of the Shema. Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, and strength. And we even discover that this whole response to the Lord, this is a response that the Lord makes to us, to God's people. Jeremiah 32, 41 describes how the Lord will exert his strength, will exert his capacity, will exert his ability to replant, to reestablish Israel in the land with all his heart and soul. And because of our political time right now, when you hear me say that, know that I am talking about the biblical story. I'm not now applying this to any current uh, political times. That's an important conversation. It's not today's conversation. But God's whole heart and soul is to see the whole earth reestablished as God's kingdom. To see the whole earth reestablished as a place where souls in bodies with hearts and minds, can flourish together. The capacity to extend the love of God into love of neighbor originates in the soul that listens for and responds to God. This is why, as both in my own Christian life, I'll tell you honestly, I'm just preaching this sermon to myself. In my own Christian life and as a pastor, it seems to me we are in an age where we need to pay particular attention to how we love God with the soul. Did you bring your soul in with you today? Is there anything in your daily rhythm, in your weekly rhythm, 
that creates, that makes space for the soul, that thirsts for God, that longs for God to be met by God. See, myself and other Christians, many of us are souls who are deaf to God's voice because we just run back and forth like foofy between our head and our heart and what we're doing. We are masters of imitation. We are masters at following and mimicking the motions required of Christians. But something is not unifying heart and strength. And I wonder if we have an ear in heart and mind and strength, but we have grown hard of hearing when it comes to the soul. The single phrase this Gregory of Nyssa has written embraces the human whole, the corporeal heart, themed as the higher intellectual and mental nature, and the soul as their mediator. And I love that image. Ancient Christians understood we need the mediation of the soul, which acts kind of like our inner ear, like Fufi's cochlear, the inner ear, to help us to hear God and keep heart and mind in action all integrated. But even with that, with the soul that's so essential, did you catch what Jesus said to the scribe at the end? Did you catch it? We, are, we begin with God. We listen, first of all, to God who is one. We need to recognize that God who is one wants us to, to, to love him with heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor that way. And I'm suggesting that we've gone too deaf when it comes to the soul to be integrated in that love. But then the last thing is, look what Jesus says to the scribe. I love this. Verse 34. When Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, you are smack dab in the middle of the kingdom of God. Do you say that? No. You are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, at first I wondered, is that because he dropped the soul? But I don't think so, because here's what Jesus never does. Jesus never looks at you and says, Jennifer, you'd be really close to the kingdom of God, but you've got to work out your soul. Jesus never says, Bob, you'd be really close to the kingdom of God, but you've you got to get the head in order. You've got to get your head in order, right? Jesus never, he never throws it back on you. You see, the very best, the best that the law can do, the most open person present in the temple that day among the religious leaders of the time, the best he can do is to be not far from the kingdom of God because the way into the kingdom of God is through Jesus who's standing right in front of him. Is through Jesus standing right in front of him who is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus standing right before us. You are not far from the kingdom of God. The whole person, and perhaps the soul, especially in our age, needs the person of Jesus in order to come home to God. See, there's great wisdom in our time concerning the heart and the emotions, and I hope that you will avail yourself of it. I love the Atlas of the Heart from someone like Brene Brown. I think there's wonderful wisdom out there. But the best wisdom in our time concerning the heart and the emotions and our will and our decision making can only get so close and no further without the person of Jesus Christ. There is great wisdom in our time concerning our strength and our capacity, and I hope you'll avail yourself of it. But you can only get so close and no further without the person of Jesus Christ. And there's great wisdom of our time concerning the, the intellect and the mind and curiosity and so much to be discovered, but you can only get so close and no further without the person of Jesus Christ. And there's even great wisdom on the soul. So much great spiritual wisdom and insight out there, but you can only get so far 
and no further without the person of Jesus Christ. And since this sermon, my own reflections entering 2024 focus on the person of Jesus finishing us out, I want to give you just a couple of practical steps when it comes to the soul. First of all, I want to invite you, if, if you have never entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ, if you, if Jesus, if you are just uh, exploring faith, please know that the invitation of Jesus Christ is right here in front of you to invite you into this place of wholeness and the kingdom of God, just as it was for the scribe that day. And then for all of us, for all of us, there are invitations and things that, that Jesus gives us about nurturing our soul space. And I'm going to throw out a whole bunch of our words, and you just grab one. You don't have to catch all of them. You just grab one. You know, one of the most essential ones is rest and restoration. Rest and restoration. Our souls grow weary and we need to be restored. And Jesus knows that feeling. Jesus in John 12, 27 described his own soul as anxious. And then he gave us the invitation in Matthew eleven twenty nine: 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is Jesus' invitation to you. He is the good shepherd who gives rest and restoration to your souls. 1 Peter 2.25 describes Jesus as the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. You need to hear this good news. You are invited into the rest and restoration of Jesus Christ that your soul longs for. And the second thing we need to do as we come to that rest or restoration is we need to take some time to really reflect, to really meditate in scripture and prayer. You know what we tend to do? Here's what we tend to do in our small groups. Here's what we tend to do in our Bible studies. We read a piece of scripture, make sure we understand it, mind. We see how we feel about it, heart. Then we figure out what do we got to do about it. Application, strength. That is not wrong. That's not bad. That's pretty good. There's no reflection in it. And without reflection, without soul time, without soul space and meditation on the word of God individually and together, you're going to be like foofy just running around between your head and your heart and your mind. You're going to wonder why you're so tired and why you're so mad and you're doing everything right and you're studying everything right and you're looking at things well and you're trying to keep your heart in place, but it's not working. It's your soul, people. It's your soul. Take that reflection time. Take that meditation time. Because there's some things that are going to happen in reflection that God can only do when our soul sits to reflect on who God is and God loving us. Be rest and restored. Take that reflection. And then the last thing Jesus tells us that you're going to need to be, a, need to be aware of is, is when, he, when he gets hold of your soul, he's going to call you to take risks. He's going to call you to take risks. That's, that's a sign of a healthy soul is taking risks. There was a parable in Luke 12, 19. Really rich man, all these barns, fills the barns. You know what the man says to himself? And this is it in the Greek. The man says to himself, soul, you have ample goods. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Soul. And Jesus says, what will it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul, forfeit their life? When we're scared, when we're anxious, when we are weary of soul, when we're ignoring our soul, we're going to go take comfort in a lot of places that cannot give us eternal comfort. And the hope and the desire of God is eternal comfort, eternal rest, eternal forgiveness.
We're coming to this table over here. Maybe one of the most important things about taking time with the soul for reflection, for rest, for risk, is that Jesus came and tells us that he came to ransom our souls. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his soul, to give his life as a ransom for many.